Hello, boys and girls. This is Steve Tripp coming to you live from the Top Strength Project, and this is the Top Strength Cast, a grit original. I am here to denounce the limitless bullshit surrounding the industry by sharing my own personal experiences and insights in an attempt to offer a more direct, sensible, and authentic approach to becoming the best version of ourselves. Other experts at the top of their fields will be joining me to cover training for and competing in strength sports along with all things muscle. It is my goal to offer as much value through this platform as possible because I believe that there is no cruise control. There is no maintaining. You're either learning, growing, and getting better, or you're going backwards. So wake up, be present, be relentless, and let's go. Hello, boys and girls. We're back again. We're still doing another episode of You Can Believe It. Today, I am joined by the infamous Stan Efforting. What what are you going by now? Still world's strongest bodybuilder and creator of the Vertical Diet, or do you have any more accolades to add to your name? Is that enough? No, I'm just dad these days. Nobody cares anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I see you've been having some fun. Is it Sin City Barbell out there in Vegas? Is that a new spot? Yeah, I love it. I joined up with uh, uh, an old training partner of mine and partnered with him so now we've got our own little uh place to train and we open it up for memberships 24-hour private club on the uh, key fob and uh, we're having fun i started a little kids power hour on sundays i've got little little ones seven eight nine ten eleven years old come in every weekend and uh squat bench and deadlift it's been oh, great that's fantastic i'm so glad to hear that there's always that that apprehension i mean i think it's finally dying along with women not wanting to lift weights they want to get big but oh don't don't lift weights until your late teens, you're going to stunt your growth. And I'm like, listen, I've been lifting weights since I was 13 and I'm 6'5". So if I stunted my growth, I would have been an ape. You know? Yeah, I should have started earlier. I wanted to be 6'5". <laughs> yeah. And and if I could if I could start it all over, I'm interested in, in your perspective of this. So when I first started lifting weights, I started lifting weights because, you know, a girl I had a crush on called me Titty Boy at a pool party when I was 13. So I just wanted to lift weights and get big. Um, and that's all well and good, but... It, it's my it's my opinion and my experience that you really don't have as a male really the hormonal predisposition to be able to put on a lot of mass until you know puberty late teens so if i could start over i would have started with you know of course the big three but um you know just kind of everything i can maybe starting with olympic lifting gymnastics um and uh you know, calisthenics and things, and then go into strength and prioritize strength before trying to push volume and hypertrophy until my late teens. I think that would be the the optimal way to, to introduce, you know, youth into, into strength training. Yeah. You know, number one on that list is just making it fun. If you want them to do it consistently. And that was kind of my priority when I brought them in. Uh, secondly, what the research suggests is that uh, even the American Academy of Pediatrics says that uh, weight training for adolescents is essential. They use that very term. Uh, it actually can help reduce injury in any other sport. So it's a foundational uh, uh, sport, if you could call it that. And it's, uh, it's very low in injury rates, less than playing on the jungle gym at the school for certain. Uh, and what we focus on most or what the benefit that we get most from it is really the neural adaptation. As you know, uh, you're right. Those kids don't develop an extraordinary amount of size. They just don't have the hormonal milieu available, but they get stronger just as a result of their nervous system, getting more coordinated and learning to contract, uh, and, uh, cooperatively 
uh, work together to, to manage those movements. And so that's kind of what we use it for, injury prevention, neural adaptation, uh, and then just creating some sort of habit. And anytime somebody gets stronger, whether it's through neural adaptation or for you know, absolute strength gains, they get um, faster, they can jump higher, and they can throw further. And that bodes well for any sport they participate in. And then also, you know, just kind of thinking out loud, the aspect, you know, obviously children are growing this way as well. And, and yeah. you know, they hit growth spurts and, and they, they lose coordination and proprioception because their their joints yeah. and their lengths and the levers are always changing. So if you're able to couple strength training and, you know, the repetitive coordinated movements of squatting, pulling from the floor, pressing overhead along with as they as they grow, they're able to maintain and improve their coordination as their as their levers change. Absolutely. And another big thing would be bone mineral density. It actually helps to load. We see girls in particular, junior high school, certainly in high school and definitely in college, uh, end up with some degree of osteopenia. And a lot of that comes from uh, chronic calorie restriction and uh, you know, maybe an absence of calcium in the diet. But generally, it's from lack of loading. And running doesn't seem to solve that problem because you don't have any axial loading. It actually tends to decrease bone mineral density. We see that in a lot of track athletes who get uh, uh, shin splints and the like. And so that, that's the optimal time. As you know, you can only accumulate, uh, you accumulate the vast majority of your bone mineral density in those adolescent years. And for women up till they're about 21, 22, maybe 25. And after that point, you're really drawing on that reserve. And so you want to build that up as, as uh, significantly as possible. And obviously any kind of axial loading weight training does that job yeah taking advantage of, of that window that precious window Agreed. You know, 21 and under it's like you know we we sell loading and strength training to older 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 individuals because you know the, all those processes the calcification of bone slows and eventually stops as as we age but you can delay that process and 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 kind of keep it going as we age but but to think about that you know you're in such a position to really fortify all, all the bones and connective tissue of your body while, while you're in those growth stages, you know, incorporating loaded movements um, it, it, during that period should be very beneficial, not only for when they're adolescents, but into their adult years. Yeah. So I look at it as a, the foundation, really. I think it's the first thing that you should incorporate into an adolescence program is some consistent uh, resistance training and loading for all the reasons we've just discussed. I believe that it's, it's a, uh, it's probably kind of the most important piece. And from there, you can start working on specifics, you know, sports specific type movements. Obviously, GPP is going to include some cardiovascular fitness as well. But once you have strength and cardiovascular, you can build on that pyramid by including, you know, sports specific movements, run, jump, throw, and then specific sports after that, whether it's volleyball, basketball, soccer, doesn't matter. But it kind of goes in that order. Yeah. And, and decreasing the risk of injury, like you said, I mean, we've all growing up, you know, we all broke our fair share of bones, legs, arms, wrists, um, because, you know, and, and th that's going to happen as we're playing. But if you can decrease the likelihood of that happening and also probably decrease the recovery period, if it were to happen um, again, it, it seems like it's just winning across the board. It's interesting that it's kind of finally starting to become, um, like you said, essential or before it was it, it was it wasn't recommended. Right. And, uh, you know, I think another thing that's important is that uh, in terms of that injury prevention component, 
um, weightlifting itself, as you discussed, does not stunt your growth, and it's not it's not doesn't have a high injury rate. Certainly, as compared to any dynamic sport, football, soccer, etc. Uh, and it seems from the research that the most common injury, somewhere north of 65 to 70 percent of injuries that are suffered by adolescents in the gym, are simply from dropping a weight on themselves. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Both my big toes are destroyed from doing that. Yeah, <laughs> been uh, over 20 years, and they're, they're still not right yet. They're still not grown out, but maybe eventually we'll see. Yeah, so that's the one thing we have to avoid. And so I set it up to be fun. What I do is uh, I know a lot of folks they they get themselves all wrapped around the axle with perfect form and. There's a lot of question now as to what perfect form is or if it even exists. Uh, and so uh, obviously we don't want the kids to, uh, you know, boy, it's hard to even say this now because their form is so individualistic as to, you know, anthropometrics, limb size, et cetera, limb lengths and, you know, torso and, and femur length. So uh, a lot of folks will, you know, they'll, they'll put kids under a, uh, say maybe a broomstick or a PVC pipe and, and just obsessively you know, do hundreds of repetitions working for this presumed perfect form before they put them under load. Yeah, what happens when you put them under load? That all goes to shit. Yeah, and, and you're right. That's the point. <laughs> Even with quote-unquote perfect form, as you have prescribed it or you've determined it to be, because in, in, as I've just suggested, that doesn't exist. Uh, once you put them under load, everything changes. So yeah, I found that kids don't enjoy that. They don't enjoy the over-instruction and the obsessiveness with those details. And so I give them some basic. Neither do adults. No, you're 100% and, right. And, 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 though, and those that those that do go down that path, they end up becoming members of the paralysis by analysis group. And if everything's not perfect, they don't want to friggin' work anymore. Yeah. I, I think in context of that, and I'm sure you'll agree, um, I'm, I'm, I'm very sure you'll agree. I'm probably taking the words out of your mouth. There are definite don'ts. There are definite things you want to look for and avoid that are unsafe and will definitely eventually, if not right away, lead to injury. There are definite things you want to avoid. But when it comes to perfect techniques, there there aren't any. It's so individualized and it's just a matter of, of teaching good patterns and getting people to understand how to safely manage load. And, and you know, the, the stuff in the textbook is not going to apply to, to everybody or anybody. Yeah. And I think my point with that in terms of making it fun and not obsessing over by over instructing, I just set it up first and foremost to be fun and then safe. And so I put some spud straps in the squat rack so that they could just squat down partially. And I'm not a huge fan of partial reps, but when you're starting a brand new kid out, you, you just put a bar on them and tell them to go down halfway or, you know, quarter squats and they bang into the spud straps and then they press it up and then they do it again and they do it again and they do it again. They actually enjoy that. Initially, of course, they're like baby giraffes and they're very uncoordinated and their feet move around and they stand up with the bar and they relax and then, it, it, you know, they wobble. But very quickly, they are in control of the weight. And then gradually, I just lower the spud straps so that they can increase their range of motion over time. And then once they can control a full squat, I can start adding a little bit of weight. But it's a, it's a natural progression that allows them to participate right out of the gate. I do the same thing with the bench press. I do a floor press using uh, pins. And so they're only doing a partial press and it just, you know, it just clangs down into the pins and they just do pin presses off the floor. They don't have to balance on the bench. They don't have to worry about the bar smashing into them. Uh, you know, and then we can start adjusting weight like that. And then the deadlifts, you know, we just start with little kettlebells and I just line it up by weight. If you can do five reps at a particular weight, then there's a heavier weight right next to it. Give that a try. 
And we and that's how we do it. And then each week when they come in, I remind them of what they did last week and see if they can at least meet that or beat that. And we just work on PRs. Yeah. Is that the frequency once per week? Yeah, it is currently just because it's kind of hard to get all the kids together. I encourage them to do some homework. Obviously, we'd like to see two or three times a week at that age. Uh, they'll, they'll certainly recover. They're not coordinated enough to lift heavy enough to cause any significant uh, DOMS or, uh, you know, muscle breakdown such that they, they couldn't do it every other day. So, yeah, it's Skill development at this point. And I think what's nice and what will make it fun is if you're offering them in the onset, you know, the, the first parameter that you're trying to overload is, is range of motion. They can see progress. If they know they're yep. only going down so far week one, then they're going down a little bit lower week two and week three, you know, that's very exciting. You know, training, for guys like you and me, we're a little biased because we're, we're meatheads and we just, you yeah. know, torturing ourselves. But progress is fun for anybody. You know, success is fun for everybody. So if you're able to, to show them in real time, like, hey, last week you went to here and now you're here, that they'll get excited about that just like anyone else would. And then eventually when you start slapping some plates on, the excitement will continue. Agreed. And then if they're an athlete and their parents actually want them to do something significant uh, because they're in high school and they're playing a sport, then, you know, we talk more specifically about how to improve force production and to do so in a low fatigue manner. So I'm not influencing their, you know, their uh, sports training. And so we do a lot of box squats with an SSB bar for those folks. And we do some uh, uh, some jumps, some weighted jumps. That's kind of the, the, the foundation of it. And uh, from there, you know, if I can increase their strength then generally speaking, they can increase their 40 time and their and their vert. Well, I'm inspired. It wouldn't take much to get something like that going here. I did have a couple of um, mothers that I train ask if uh, I could put together a group class where, where for for mothers, where mothers could come and take their their young, you know, adolescent kids in and do a group class with their with their young kids, to get them involved. Yeah. But, um, I think another nice way to apply that would be just what you're doing, having um, you know, small group probably could handle between four and six kids per instructor and, and, and get that going along. Just like you said, twice a week. <laughs> I've, I've more than maxed out. I've got 20 kids in there. Now I set up four squat racks, four benches and four deadlift platforms. You're running that by yourself. I'm, I've got 24 kids and I've got somebody helping the bigger kids on the, on the, uh, on the monolith. That's a but lot. It's like, brother, it's like chasing chickens. It's yeah, I got to I got to set up a second hour. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, that's not I never expected it's definitely, it. definitely keeping you young, I'm sure. Indeed. Yep. It got real popular real quick. The kids loved it. They all come back. We have 100% attendance uh, and they're and they're excited. The, the parents are telling me the kids are like asking me when, you know, the power hour is again. They they're looking forward to it. And, and that was the goal of the whole thing anyhow. Just make it fun. Yeah, they're probably starting to see their kids watching uh, weightlifting videos on TikTok rather than Foolish Dance and all that garbage, <laughs> yeah. which is nice. Yeah. That's that's fantastic. You know, I mean, we're obviously a little biased. You know, we live and die by this. This is this is our thing. This is what we do. But it, it's great to hear that you're getting young kids excited about it at such a young age and that they're as into it as they are, you know. So that's great. It's a great thing you're doing. Um, next order, you know, you've you've done probably – countless podcasts talking about the vertical diet and things like that so um we'll kind of leave that out but i'm very interested i want to give you an opportunity to talk about the world's strongest gym competition you're putting together uh yeah. this at the olympia um kind of the specifics yeah. on that i i've already communicated it to um, a handful of other gyms and people around here but i think this will be a great platform to get the word out and and, and you know cover any questions people may have about the specifics of it because we're really excited to be a part of it and i think it's going to be a great thing
Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. You know, I've always enjoyed the animal cage at the Arnold. I've been in and lifted for those folks many times. Uh, and it's always kind of a, to me, it's always kind of the centerpiece of the Arnold was to go and, and lift there or watch the lifters come. And it's always kind of highlighted, you know, obviously the, the most popular or the strongest or the, you know, the, the best lifters, the guest lifters that would come in and do these monstrous lifts. Uh, and so I want to do something a little different at the Olympia. And so I've got the Rhino cage. It's going to be 3000 square feet. It's going to be, uh, 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 both days, Friday and Saturday, all day. And what I wanted to do was, was bring in maybe the lifter who isn't so well-known or uh, the gyms who aren't represented, uh, you know, for uh, or, or well-known. So I, I set it up to be a world's strongest gym competition. And in order to make this entertaining and, and, and a little easier to run, the gym is going to bring me three lifters, one bencher, one squatter, one deadlifter. And we're going to add their total and they're going to come in. I'm going to have four teams in the, in the cage at once. And they're just going to, the four guys from four different gyms are just going to work up to a max squat. And we're going to record that total. At the same time, I'm going to have a bench press going and four guys are going to work up to their max bench. At the same time, I'll have the deadlift going. So all three lifts will be going at once. We'll have four lifters on each, 12 total in the cage. They're just going to warm up and work up just like they would in the gym on a regular day, but work up to a top single. We'll record that single, add the total, and that gym gets the total. And we'll see who, at the end of two days, has the highest total. Friday's going to be repetitions. We're going to uh, have a mixed team. One man, one woman, one, one over 40. One master. And the over 40 could be male or female. Male or female, yeah. And obviously, I think the men will do two times body weight, and the women will do 1.5, uh, if, 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 if I recall. And we'll just, we'll have them warm up, set up a bar, you know, we just weigh them right there in the cage and then whatever one and 1.5 weight is, they go and rep it out as many as they can get. And of course they get to pick which exercise the man could do the deadlift or the man could do the squat. The woman could do the bench or, you know, whatever the team decides. And so, so Friday will be a mixed team, one man, one woman, one master, and it'll be repetitions based on body weight and we'll total the highest number of repetitions. Saturday is uh, is your best lifters. That's going to be your biggest squatter, biggest bencher, biggest deadlifter. But we're going to have two prizes, one for Wilkes. And so some of those guys who have a real good uh, lift by body weight can win the Wilkes prize. We're going to give two grand to the Wilkes winner, two grand to the overall highest total winner, and two grand to the reps uh, people on, uh, on Friday. So it's going to be exciting. And then, you know, guys can travel here from all over the country join you know come to the olympia and and just put in a great hour of lifting with you know a bunch of other lifters put up a big number and represent their team yeah that sounds great and a little bit of strategy involved to it from what i understand as a gym you can your your total team could either go for the highest total or the wilkes total not correct with the other two teams so you pick one yeah, you can pick one, or maybe you win both. Maybe you're that good. <laughs> yeah. We're going to have uh, Eddie Cohn come out and judge. Uh, Grant Higa is going to be the MC, and we'll certainly have a lot more people joining us uh, along the way. It's a huge area, like I said, over 3,000 square feet, and so we'll be able to have a lot of uh, participation. I feel like that kind of I – can't, I can't think of any of any other questions. That pretty much covers all of it. Um, how So when, when it comes to – each lifter as they go so let's say day one on friday the rep how long does each lifter have at their uh, appropriate station to, to warm up and execute their air they've rep? got one hour 
just like they walked in the gym. They got okay. one hour. They're going to warm up. They could get there a little early and do their foam rolling and whatever, you know, <laughs> strategy they have to get warm. But as far yeah. as touching the weights in the cage goes, uh, every hour on the hour, we're going to have four teams jump in there uh, with three lifters from each team. So 12 total lifters in the cage. Uh, and starting then just, same for Saturday as well. You get an hour. Same for Saturday. It's just like you'd work out with three of your buddies. Bar 135, two and a quarter, three for team, 405, you know, 495. Yeah. We're just going to keep climbing all the way up. I got a monolift that we'll handle the squatters with, and I've got a elite, uh, you know, uh, competition bench for the benchers, and we'll have a, a floor. As far as a gear, what, what are you allowed? Yeah, belt and sleeves. It just takes too long to do knee wraps and and uh, suits, and so we're just going to do belt and sleeves. Great. Um, any. Just particular like IPF regulations, like seven millimeter knee sleeves and 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 the, the the proper belts and all that. Yeah, I suppose so. Now that Inzer came out with those monster knee sleeves, <laughs> we should probably make a distinction as to some federations rules to so everybody knows how to comply. Yeah, I got. I intended it to be Inzer, kind of Inzer's, fun. Yeah, it did, it's not going to be pretty lax, but um, yeah, I got a pair of Inzer. They're great. The, the first couple of times using them, they feel like wraps, but then um, as they break in, they definitely give a little more pop than my traditional SBDs do, but I use both. If I'm like doing three reps or above, I'll probably throw on my SBDs. If I'm yeah. three reps or under, I use my ends. But now my ends are so well broken in that I, I can use them for higher up stuff too. And they, they feel great. They That's definitely great. offer a little more pop, but um, it's not, it's not ridiculous. Like people might want to make it seem as far as um barbells, uh, Texas deadlift bar. Uh, Yeah. And then uh, will it be a competition squat bar, like a 55 pound squat bar? I think so. My guess is we're going to get some guys going north of 800 plus 900 and we'll probably need it. So we'll have a 55 pound competition bar. Calibrated plates or, or normal? Listen, well, we're going to bring, I, I don't give a shit, but you know, the pile out there need to know this stuff. <laughs> I've got enough calibrated plates to handle the squat, but I don't know if they're going to be necessary for the, for the bench. Of course. Yeah. And then the deadlifts too. Yeah, so I do have calibrated plates for the squat. Yeah, that sounds like an epic event. How, how many gyms do you have? Any anybody um, aside from me that that are definitely going to participate? Oh, a lot of interest. Yeah, Mark Juan, uh, you know Jesse, uh, uh, Mark Bell, you know all the all the standard folks that I, I communicate with. They're all interested in coming down. So and there's a lot of gyms I'm not familiar with. They're really excited about it. So we'll, we'll just. It's it's open to anybody to join, and once we get our thirty-two teams, that's all we got room for: four teams an hour, two days. You know, so yeah. How many teams you say was the limit? I think we'll be able to do thirty-two teams because it's 32, eight that's right. uh, eight hours a day. Uh, what did I say it was? Four teams on an hour, three teams on the hour. Yeah, it's uh, that'd be thirty-two. Four teams on the hour, so it's thirty-two teams each day. The gym can decide to enter both or one or the other. It's kind of their decide decision. But if a gym wants to enter both days, then I can only handle 32, 32 gyms. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. I think it's it's really interesting to think, you know, being the first year, you know, where the bar is going to be set. You know, I'm sure we're going to see a lot of, you know, obviously well over 2,000 pound totals for the, for the powerlifting, you know, the total one. I mean, pretty sure if my, if myself, my buddy Nico and, probably be manny for the bench manny's got mid fives low fives i could probably i'll probably deadlift because nico nico's stronger than me in both deadlift and squat 
but he's got a lot more on the squat than he does on the deadlift. So he could probably he could probably squat close to nine. Wow. I'll, I'll deadlift close to nine. So that's 18. So that's a 2300. And, you know, that, that might be competitive. I mean, we'll, we'll yep. see. You know, it's, it's, you know, I'm sure there's plenty of gyms out there that have, you know, three guys that, that, that are putting up big, big, big numbers. So, I mean, the sky's the limit. Yeah. And that's what I want to know. And that's what I want to see. It's time that the, the gyms are represented. The, the individual lifters, of course, are really popular and it's fantastic to watch them. But I'd like to see some credit to the gym owners to, to bring a team out. And I'm kind of more excited about Friday. I want to see the mixed team and the reps, you know, to see yeah. the kind of depth, kind of depth that these uh, gyms have. That offers a little more strategy as well because you have yep. to fulfill the male, female, and master. And the thing with reps, you know, top end strength is top end strength. But the thing with reps, especially when you're at what would be considered a comfortable resistance, I I, I do a similar thing here. I've done relative strength competitions and I have a, a the top strength record board, and all of which have male and female um, AMRAPs as well. And the female. I think it's safe to say that women, generally speaking, in that threshold, can suffer a bit more than your than your average man. I I saw there, there are two women, um, Vanessa, who you met, and Marissa. I'm not sure if you met, but Vanessa, not you know she she's more conditioning. She's not much of a strength athlete, but she deadlifted her body weight. I think close to eighty. And then Marissa came in a couple of weeks later and she did 101. But what was so obnoxious about Marissa's attempt is like 15 to 20 in, I was like, ah, oh, she's just about done. You know, you could see her form was starting to tear away. You could see the fatigue. You could see the grimace in her face. Then 21, then 25, then 30, then 40. And I'm like, this bitch isn't going to fucking stop. And I know in her head she had 100. And I'm, and you know, it, they just, it just, you could just see she was suffering, but she just kept going, kept going, kept going. And then she hit a hundred and then she pulled one more just as a fuck you to all of us watching. Yeah. Unbelievable. And I think that, I think, <laughs> like you said, I'm excited to see Friday too, because there's just such a, you know, there's just such a large variant in who can go to that place and just stay there and just keep crushing reps. Yeah. So that's you, definitely a fact that women have more endurance. And uh, I, I, I think I always, they first started to see it in swimming, in distance swimming. Women yeah. were able to really handle themselves in the water for much longer and suffer much longer than 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 men were. Yeah. And you got to remember, those ladies, women have babies. Yeah. <laughs> Deadlifting yeah. is not a problem. <laughs> um, what were the weights? So, so the AMRAP weight. So, men is it is it double body weight? Squat? I think it's gonna do double, double body, body weight. I was trying to avoid the hundred rep sets, and so I kind of wanted to make it challenging enough. So, one point five for women and, and two times for men. And then for bench, uh, I think we're in the same ballpark. I gotta take. I gotta pull it up and remember what I what I said first. <laughs> I think what we but did here is it's on the website. It's worldsstrongestgym.com. Oh, great! All right, cool. I'll make sure to tag that link at the bottom of this uh, video. Here we did, um, I think men did body weight and women did like 0.7 and that worked out pretty good. But if you were to do men to bench 1.5 and women body weight, I'm sure that'd be fine too. But that's a nice way to avoid those hundred rep sets. You'll be there all day and you need yeah. a lot. Of, you probably need a lot of puke buckets too. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be a fun one. And the yeah. people like that. The yeah, audience I think, like I think it sounds epic. I, I think it's going to be great.
you're going to be rivaling the animal cage. But my first experience at the Arnold was a few years ago during the pandemic and it was going to be canceled, but then it ended up um, being open at limited capacity. And I was very excited to finally see the animal cage. What ended up happening is the animal cage wasn't, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the typical uh, stands weren't at the Arnold. So what would have been the animal cage ended up kind of relocating to this gym called Pinnacle. Mm-hmm. Um, I think at the time Joe Sullivan was involved there. He was part owner and um, I spent just about the whole weekend there. There was a, a 700 pound AMRAP between uh, Joe Sullivan and Andy, uh, yeah, or strongest Asian, I think. Yep. Um, and that was epic. I mean, Andy outweighed Joe by I think 80 or 100 pounds, and they were side by side. I believe. I think they were side by side, and I'm pretty sure Joe took it for like seven or eight. Jeez. And um, which was unbelievable for a guy that weighs 220, 240 pounds. I think Andy was just north of 300 at the time, and he took it for 10, um, or or something like that. But it was it was super super impressive, and that was really That's cool. crazy. Yeah, I can't believe those numbers. I'm glad it's I'm glad I'm old because that was uh, uh, these guys nowadays. The, the stuff they're doing is crazy. So as far as your training, we'll talk about that for this, the last few minutes we have here. I've noticed you're doing some some different lifts uh, that I haven't seen you do in the past. I, I see you calling them bad mornings, those kind of heavy uh, dead stop good mornings to the to the straps. Let, uh, explain that for us a little bit. You're just trying to destroy your back, or what's the plan with that? <laughs> I'm actually trying to increase my deadlift. I'm focused on one lift now. I'm too old to focus on all three, and so I bounce around based on what hurts the least. And the deadlift is something I kind of wanted to build recently. C.T. Fletcher wanted me to come down in January and, and deadlift for his at his meet. He has a, a meet every year, and he thought I'd be a guest lifter. I just saw that. What's that called? I, I'm not certain, but it's in January at his gym down in it's L.A. called like Iron Wars or something like that. Something like that. But it's always a fun time. He's got a lot of great guys there. It's always really exciting. But he wanted me just to come down, just to be a guest and do a lift. Well, he wanted me to deadlift and he asked me, is you still deadlifting? And I'm like, well, not anything impressive. <laughs> I think I was struggling with 635 at the time. Yeah, uh, I just hadn't deadlifted too heavy too often. Uh, it wasn't a priority. So uh, I started a, you know, kind of a deadlift protocol. And the accessories for my deadlift are the box squat and the uh, pin good mornings. That's how I'm trying to. And, and both of those are selected specifically because I think they transferred the deadlift. And they're lower yeah, fatigue. They're both dead stop, similar to a deadlift. They're both dead stop, which is huge. Plus, they're a little lower fatigue. You know, when you use that stretch reflex and you have to reverse the weight, a, a lot of that that eccentric damage is done kind of in that change of direction. And so the box squat is, has uh, been good for me. And then, of course, that good morning is, uh, you know, I crash those down on the pins. And so I'm not having this to decelerate and reverse the weight. And so I am experiencing less fatigue on those. And you're right. It's a dead stop position, which is, uh, you know, when you see me set up for those, sometimes I actually reach down as though I'm grabbing a deadlift bar yeah. and starting from that position. Nice. So, and they seem to transfer pretty well. I just pulled 700 last week after only about six weeks of, uh, of focusing on those two movements and pulling twice. I pulled a real hard 675 that was a grinder. And then one month later, I pulled a pretty easy 700. So it's it's progressing for me and I'll use them as long as it progresses. And then I'll, you know, switch to something else as soon as I don't get the benefit out of them that I need. 
Yeah. And also you can set your box height for your, for your squats, similar to the height that your hips would be at where you initiate the deadlift, which is in the past as well. You know, I've always been a, a ROM snob, but, um, I, I personally, I I'm, I'm in a bit of an off season now until I get this arm fixed and, um, I'm using a high handle trap bar for the first time. I've never trained that because I'm always like from the floor or bust, you know, but I can obviously manage much more weight. I'm also uh, using a bit different of a, of a, a high sternal position. Knee over toe is a bit more with the trap bar. So I'm getting more quad drive, uh, more of an upright posture. And I'm still deadlifting from the floor. My other deadlift day is, is a pause deadlift with a barbell and they're flying. So even though it's partial range, overloaded intensity, um, it definitely seems to be giving me more power off the floor with, with, with my traditional deadlift. Also, I think where there's just no forgiveness with a trap bar, there's no whip at all. It's just a really honest, true uh, break off the floor. You don't get any give. So um, it doesn't, I have kind of a, I have kind of a, a powerful explosive deadlift technique, um, which has served me well so far. I probably may eventually go and, and have a bit more of an honest slack you know, tension in, in, in the future, but um, being obligated to use a very true tight setup on the trap bar and it's kind of slow off the floor. Um, and then it flies once it comes up, which is the opposite where normally I can get a really good pop off the floor with a dynamic deadlift bar. And then I fight to the end. So, um, you know, using that, I'm going to do three months. I, I'm about halfway through my second month of that right now. I have a, I have an 815 AMRAP next month. And if I can get seven or eight at eight fifteen, I think I'm going to go for a thousand at the end of next month. We'll see if I can get it. That's great. I'm I'm embarrassed to talk about my numbers, but I, I have to remind people I have my AARP card now, and nobody over nobody over fifty five has ever deadlifted more than seven fifty in competition. That's just kind of my that's my benchmark. If I can get seven fifty at uh, CT's uh, uh, meet, then I'll be happy with it. That's fantastic. I, I just turned 35 and a bunch of um, my buddies here that I turned with like, Hey man, make sure next time you compete in powerlifting, you register as a, as a sub master as well. Um, you know, you, you'll just, you'll destroy all those numbers. And I said, I, I'll, I'll think about it. I don't know if I'll register for that or not. I'll, I'll, I'll do the, I'll do the open either way, but um, it, you know, why not? Why not register for that, for that extra class? Um, sure. It's available to you in, uh, in powerlifting. I think people should know what the real records are. Yeah, absolutely. So when you were working with Mark Bell, who I, who I, from what I remember, it was, was your, was your resource when you were going for the world record, uh, mm -hmm. total. um, I, I wanted to kind of get your insight and experience because we just talked about how I'm doing, um, you know, we'll call it like partial, partial, partial range. Um, I've always kind of, you know, been on the school of thought that, when training, you should overload the weakest point of the link or the weakest point of the lift because the, 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 the weakest link of the chain is going to be, you know, the limiting factor. So when it comes to squatting, you know, I do a lot of pause reps, a lot of pause below parallel, double pumps. If I'm doing box squats, it, it's always been a box at or below parallel. And that's kind of always been my approach and understanding. And then also to improve my squat, I put myself under, you know, different barbells that force a more upright, less hingy position, because I've found that if I obligate myself to use more quad, more of an upright squat, it benefits my low bar hingier squat without, you know, training low bar year round, year round, grinding and grinding and basically, you know, assessing 
damage and stress to the same ligaments and same tendons and same musculature over and over again, because what ended up happening is my back always bothered me and my knees always bothered me. So when I went to a, a front squat or a very upright SSB, and again, incorporating pauses and things like that, that seemed to remedy it. Um, but like I said, during this off season for my deadlift, I've been using a high handle trap bar and it seems to, even though it's a partial range, it's, it's kind of like from a 13 inch, almost like what it would be a wagon wheel deadlift. It seems that it's benefited my deadlift from the floor. Um, and I'm interested. So, so right now I'm using kind of a partial overload principle for my deadlift. And right now for my squat, I'm using front squats and high SSBs. So I'm kind of doing, you know, lighter movement variations for my squat while doing heavier partial ranges from my deadlift and i i'm kind of thinking about flip-flopping it next time around because if you look at like a lot of west side you know they very rarely pulled from the floor you know they were they were always pulling from a rack and doing rack pulls heavy rack pulls and a lot of their squats were were a higher a higher box squat now granted most west side is 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 geared lifting so they have the help of the suit with the squats which makes which kind of makes more sense why they wouldn't need to train to depth because the squat suit helps you out of the bottom but I'm curious when you were training for powerlifting and also the training you do now, have you found, you know, overloading partial ranges of the comp, of course, block presses for bench presses, right? Um, you know, tend to be heavier, shorter range of motion with, with more resistance. Do you find that that um, carries over successfully to your, to your big lifts? Yeah, I, I would certainly do rack pulls. And, but I, I was careful not to go more than, you know, 10% over my max. I think sometimes people will try and pull too much over their max. But I would do rack pulls and then I would lower the rack. I would start lowering the pins week over week or, uh, to try and get a little more range of motion out of that 10% extra. And other folks will pick up a heavier weight and walk it out and, uh, you know, do a full deadlift, but do it with that uh, from the top down. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, just so that they're, they have the advantage of already being tense, right. Already being stiff. Yeah. So um, often you'll see uh, a second rep on the deadlift go faster than the first, the first one's a grind and it's like, that's all he's got. And then he sets it down and yanks a second. And you know, you have that kind of stretch reflex and the tension from lowering the yeah. first. And that's kind of why I'm doing the, the box squats and the good mornings because creating tension in the deadlift is a really big piece of getting that first rep. Yeah. And that's, that's something that, that people, you know, need to practice to be able to fire, to, to get yourself tense and be able to fire all those muscles as quickly as possible. In, in, in the lowest, stop. most challenging, um, precarious portion of the lift or the bottom, similar to like an Anderson squat or a pin squat. I think those are fantastic. Yeah. And it's also well, a great way to clean up the bottom. In my strength book, I wrote a book, strong, stronger, strongest. And, uh, I said, everything works, nothing works forever. And it's pretty individualistic. That's why I, I like to choose a couple of accessory exercises and I like to progress them and then test and see if they transfer. And if in fact, I, you know, my deadlift goes up from utilizing those and I can keep progressing those and it keeps going up, I'll do that until it stops. And then it's time to select a different exercise and uh, try and do the same thing. Yeah, one one of the first seminars I ever attended was Dan Green. It was um at actually uh, Poundstone's gym in Connecticut, and uh, it was one of the first seminars I ever attended. I was very green. I had just started, 
um, training, you know, as my profession. And I just kind of started messing around competing in powerlifting. This is probably six years ago. I actually, I wasn't even competing at the time. And uh, it was such a great experience for me because you had all these, you know, brainiac exercise physiologists sitting there with their notepads and they wanted to hear the secret from the, the amazing Dan Green, you know, like, what does he do? What does he do? And he said the same shit you just said. He's like, you know, for squats, I'll, I'll use front squats. Um, and I'll use them until, you know, they make my squat better. And then when they stop working, I'll take them out. <laughs> and I was just sitting there with a grin ear to ear. I'm like, exactly. And then, you know, of course, all, all, all the people were writing it down and, and they asked, what about bench press? And he's like, for bench press, I tend to use, you know, close grip bench and I'll use it, you know, cause it helps. And then eventually when it stops helping, I won't do it anymore. And I was just like, I love this guy. It's perfect. It's like, guys, just do the work. You know, it doesn't need to be that concise and that, you know, elaborate, just, just good quality work with intent um, and see things through and, and just kind of keep, keep it as simple as possible. You know, the, the, the basics work and they always will. They're, they're irreplaceable. hundred percent. And it is, you know, you got to be persistent and consistent and it's not just the lifting. It's uh, everything as we've talked about before that, that goes with, recovering from and preparing for the next lift you know how disciplined are you are outside the gym eating and sleeping and uh you know and then you could get in and have another great bout and if you could get five more pounds or one more rep or you can move the same rep a little faster that's a win yeah there's there's other ways to um quantify success than just more weight you know um i think yeah. it's so important to understand that and, and in training especially for for strength adaptation there are so many other things that need to be focused upon and improved than just how much weight's on the bar you know like you yeah. said speed control uh coordination and all of that stuff needs to be practiced under sub-maximal loads and then when the time comes and, and the most weight that's ever been on the bar is there you're in a better position to be successful and uh, before i forget when, when you first started talking about you know partials um and rack pulls and things like that you said you know i don't go much higher than 10 percent of my max so that's that's a lot i mean if, if you're yeah. a seven eight hundred pound deadlifter that's 70 or 80 pounds and it's you know it's you know if you're pulling 880 off a rack i mean that that's heavy and, and even relatively speaking if you're a 300 if you're you know a 300 pound deadlifter um if that's your max 330 off a rack is is nothing that you know that that's that's a good amount of resistance i think 10 percent is a is a very fair window it's enough it's it's it's, it's good weight it's it's i think it's the right amount going more than that um you're definitely going to see some some form degradation and some some compensatory strategies if you go much further than that yeah, and, and remember, it's an accessory. There's nothing I hate more than guys who will load up a, a rack dead, you know, and of course, we as gym owners know it's just going to bend your bars just so that they can lift something heavy. Uh, it's intended to be an accessory for a deadlift. And, you know, if you use it as such, I think it's a reasonable, it's a reasonable substitute. But uh, the idea that that is the lift that you're trying to uh, grow all by itself. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah, I peer on my rack pull today. Yeah, no one gives a shit. And also, you know, why not use blocks? Why not throw a couple mats down or a couple plates right. down and pull off those? It seems, right. to, it seems to make more sense from an equipment standpoint. And also, you know, with the deadlift, you have the dynamics and the whip of the bar. It's going to feel different coming off pins than it is coming off the floor. So I think you're, you're better off doing um, a block pull or if you're fortunate to have wagon wheels to use that for your partials rather than, a, you know, destroying a rack and making a bunch of noise. <laughs> 
Yeah, I remember when I was in my 20s, I was at one of these L.A. fitnesses up in Tacoma, Washington, and I took a bar and I set it on a bench press and loaded it up with 700 pounds. And I was doing partials off the bench press. And of course, that bar looked like a duffalo bar when I got done with it. Really? <laughs> I how, set it on the bench how, how pad itself. Your, how partials were your partial 700 pound presses then? Uh, no, no, no. This was a deadlift. Oh, all right, all right, all right. I, I used the bench pad, kind of where you oh, have your, where where your where your uh, the back of your thighs would be. Yeah. <laughs> and I was partially deadlifting off of that instead of even a rack. And of course, that bar looked like a duffalo bar when I was done. And I, I think all the way back that now that I'm a gym owner, you know, of course, I realize what a ass hat I was. But uh, that's <laughs> that's the kind of thing that happens. Yeah, and I just suppose that's how you learn. Hopefully, you just don't make the same mistake twice. Yeah. You know, another alternative is uh, you can uh, put some straps on that might enable you to pull a little more off the floor than you otherwise would. And would give you that same kind of overloading uh, that you're looking for. Yeah. I also, uh, when you talked about how you, 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 you got, you know, you really had to struggle for that 675 and you pulled seven comfortably. You also brought your stance in a little bit. Um, yeah. I just noticed, and I kind of talked about it on that post that uh, the, the way my, uh, my, uh, my hips are, I tend to walk a little duck footed. And so my hips are, are a bit uh, <clears throat> rotated out. And so, and I also kind of walk on the outside edge of my feet. My shoes always wear unevenly on the outside edge of my feet. And so now I set up for a deadlift. And I cater to that. You had your toes out a little bit. Yeah, my toes are out a little bit. My feet are starting. I'm on the ed the outside edges of my feet. My knees are are pushing outward. My hips are shifting. So you're you're not transferring the force directly from the floor into you know through your body and into your hands and onto the bar. A lot of it's dissipating with the hip shift and the knee bowing and the and the and the the feet uh, rolling out. And so I just I saw a lot of wasted energy there. So just by chance, I was watching, uh, you know, Pat Davidson. I went to his seminar down in Florida. He's a pretty brilliant uh, exercise phys PhD. Yeah, we were uh, down so, there with him and uh, Jordan Shallows. Yep, yep. Dr. Pat Davidson, when he was down, when we were all down there. Yeah. He uh, he made a post. It, it was a completely unrelated post. He was talking about doing hip thrusts um, and how he kept his feet closer together and, and rode the inside edge so he could get more glute activation. And it just, I was just like, there it is. I, it, I remembered back to the last time I pulled 765 for a double. And I remember, and I went and pulled up an old video from like, I don't know, it was like nine years ago Yeah. Uh, when I was guest uh, doing a guest seminar at a gym and my feet were, were directly together pointing straight ahead and I had no hip shift and, and everything looked like it was transferring. And so I went and tried it and sure enough, you know, there was no leakage. If, you know, I, this isn't a, a scientific term, obviously, but uh, I'm just saying that that I felt really sturdy and stable and strong, and I didn't have anything moving, any of the the force dissipating laterally, and instead it was transferring right through my body, and I just felt very, very tight, yeah, as though I could, you know, pull damn near anything at that moment. Yeah, the more the more pressure you can you can contain in the system. <laughs> the more the power of your legs will be expressed into the barbell, you know, and there's just, there's a, tons of places. I think the biggest take home for that for listeners is not 
everyone should bring their stance in. I think the biggest take home to that is, is how long have you been deadlifting, Stan? Ballpark. 30 years. Yeah. All right. So 30 years. Okay. And the biggest takeaway from that for me, and I think for everyone listening, is, is to understand that we are all always students of this sport. Not, 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 and not even as far as like learning about new training techniques and new supplements and, and, and new exercises, but just the deadlift. We all individually are constantly scrutinizing every piece of our lift. So Stan's been deadlifting for, for 30 years. I've been deadlifting for 22 squats, the same bench, the same. And all the time over each year after year, I can look at what my squats looked like last year or my deadlifts looked last year. And I can notice little changes, little, little, little nuances, little things that, that, that we adjust to get more out of it. You know, my squat today and, and your deadlift today may not be the way that we deadlift in, in a year or so, because, and, and that has to do with soft tissue adaptations and just, you know, how, how we adapt and how we evolve and how we change. We can always kind of, we can, as long, it's so important to always be a student of this and, and, and look through the fine print and try and find little leaks and little things. Um, I'm assuming, you know, over time, as you developed, you started to become a little more duck footed and you started to walk a little bit differently and you very sensibly applied that stance to your deadlift, but then you noticed, Hey, maybe, maybe I can get a little more out of it. If I, if I adopt this and you know, the, the take-home shouldn't be, Oh, we should bring our stance in like Stan did and we'll have the same success. I mean, maybe, but probably not. But the key is, is to always be under a microscope and try to make these small modifications and adjustments. Um, even as the individual, I think it's so important to always be a student of, of this sport and each individual lift and all the small pieces that go into it. Yeah, and you know, kind of how we opened the conversation. Everybody's different. All your your limb lengths are different. The, uh, the your hip angle, the length of the trochanter, and the direction that it comes off of the femur. Yeah, uh, you know, the depth of the socket. All those Shape. things are different. Some people's yeah. sockets are here, and some are open like this. Um, it's it's some it's are so deeper funny. than others. Whenever I hear somebody instructing a squat and they say, okay, walk the bar out, walk the bar out, feet shoulder width apart. Um, I'm like this guy just run, you know, it's just, it's, it's, you know, everyone has to move differently, especially when you look at a squat, like you said, lever lengths, um, you have the, the skeletal structures and biomechanics of everyone's individual skeleton, the, the length of the trochanter for those listening, you have the femur, which is the long, the long bone of the upper leg. And then that has this kind of process called the trochanter that goes in to the socket, the length of that, the size of the ball, um, the angle at which that ball articulates within, within the joint is going to be dramatically different um, with everybody. And then looking at soft tissue, looking at, you know, muscles everyone's insertion points are slightly different and then over time with training all of our muscles will develop and strengthen at different rates so in order to leverage our own individual strengths and cater to our own individual weaknesses there's you know there's dramatic differences in in, in squat stance if you go to any powerlifting meet and you watch the first 15 lifters chances are pretty good you're going to see 15 different squats it's the same lift and they're all trying to get whites, but they're all dramatically different. So it's so important to look look to each individual as an individual because there's a lot that goes into you know how they move and, and how to improve their ability to to move more weight. Yeah, and the way I squatted and deadlifted in competition is very different than the way I squat and deadlift today. Not recently, but after we uh, we trained that day um, at Hybrid after that seminar. Um, I convinced you to do some, uh, 
flat-footed high bar i think we did and then after that i saw you you were still doing some more uh, some more flat-footed high bar it was really nice to see because you you know you you have a tremendously developed back so you obviously leverage that in your squats as your deadlifts you have a, a great hinge in your squat and i saw you being working a little more upright getting the bar higher on your neck and trying to sit into your legs a little more i'm sure that served you well and again it probably wasn't as taxing because you're not able to manage as much resistance but you're still getting a, a great training adaptation yeah, a lot more quad. I tend to be, like you say, a back, glute, spinal erector, squatter, uh, and historically even a lot of hips, but not a lot of quad. And so that one uh, really bode well for for keeping that that uh, that load on the quads. And I would, you know, then I started doing some belt squats if I wanted to minimize fatigue. At my age, it's kind of hard to to keep banging away at some of those high fatigue exercises where I could get my knees over my toes really essentially and just kind of get more quads, more lengthened position in the quad. Yeah, and and the it's, uh, it's kind of helped. I just, generally speaking, the bodybuilding really helped with the powerlifting for that very reason. Absolutely. You do so many different exercises from so many different angles with so many different foot positions and hand positions that you, you just don't have any, any glaring weaknesses to speak of. Yeah. And also, I think when it comes to bodybuilding, if you do have any injuries or issues, you can, you can train around them, you know, it's still, yeah. you, can, you, you can train around, um, you know, issues and injuries and pain because you're not competing in a specific lift. You know, right. if you're coming up to a powerlifting meet and you know, your shoulders feel like shit when you squat, you still got to squat, you know, yeah. when it comes to bodybuilding, you can choose different exercises that don't aggravate, um, those, that, that chronic pain. So you have a little more leeway, but, um, I agree with you tenfold I, and that was really kind of the vision of this gym is that i i saw and and personally experienced such overlap between the different practices you know um how how bodybuilding for a period of time and focusing on mind and muscle connection and, and tissue damage and, and just building a physique can then be transferred and coordinated to to improve your your big three and and, and vice versa you know if a, if if a, if a bodybuilder is in his off season and he kind of trains with strength in mind, strength being the primary driver of his training for a short period of time, he can get stronger and more co coordinated and then apply that strength to his hypertrophy work and, and back and forth. I think being a little more dynamic and not so tunnel visioned um, and, and pigeonholed in your training can have tremendous benefit. Um, and I also ag agree where, I, if I remember correctly, you you uh, competed in bodybuilding first and, and won and then went into powerlifting. Yeah, I was such a skinny kid. It took me damn near 10 years to get the strength to speak of to where I could get on a platform and lift heavy. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think the two uh the two different practices complement each other very, very well if you're able to um to 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 approach each with the appropriate kind of mindset. One uh, I think it's the second or third third episode I released on this podcast was was strength training. And I called it strength training versus hypertrophy training, which it shouldn't be versus because you know, they accent each other, but there, there's a different mindset, a different approach um, that, that that should be taken into consideration when you're training for strength, the coordination um, of, you know, the, the skill development of the movements versus um, hypertrophy, where you're just trying to really isolate a specific tissue and break it down as much as possible to force a growth response, where with strength training, you're trying to coordinate everything. And then hypertrophy, you're kind of trying to isolate everything. And, and with that, when you when you work in hypertrophy you see a lot more machines and constraints kind of come into the fray because you know w without a doubt you can you can toast your legs and bring your legs to 
or past failure in the constraints of a leg press much more effectively to create a hypertrophy response than you can squatting. Not to say that the squat isn't a tremendous muscle builder and hypertrophy builder, but there's a, there's a prerequisite of skill to be able to execute squats effectively and take them to where they need to be to force that hypertrophy response where in a leg press, you can just, you can just bite down and go. Yeah. And the leg press, you're, you know, you can only work the quads if you want to. Yes, absolutely. And in, a, in, a, in a squat, there's no opportunity for that. You're, you're always going to be working, you know, your whole torso and back and glutes and it's unavoidable. Yeah. And to reference the, the belt squat, um, that's such a great tool, in my opinion, to practice different means of squatting. So because you're not holding a bar and you're not out in the open and you're attached at the waist, it opens a great opportunity to say, set your stance closer and focus on getting your knees over your toes as much as possible. Or, you know, if you want to focus on sitting back a bit more, you can adjust your, your feet relative to where the resistance is coming from and you can sit back more into your hips because you have the handles to guide you and you can really manipulate the pattern and there's a lot more availability to do that within that machine than, than you would have um, out in the open and you can then practice and rehearse and develop it there in the belt squat and then apply it to the open chain yeah and it's less fatigue and you can accumulate a lot of good gpp in that without getting without uh, you know draining yourself and I think that's one of the mistakes that uh, some powerlifters make, especially young powerlifters. I just don't think they do enough volume and, and don't appreciate how important it is to get the satellite cell proliferation and the mitochondria uh, proliferation so that they have a, a foundation of good energy and good muscle tissue to help build and repair the damage that's done from the heavy stuff. You need... Uh, I don't know, which is, it's kind of like little gas stations spreading out, you know, so, so that, that you can actually fuel and repair the, the tissue that's furthest from, uh, you know, where you're at now. Yeah. And that's and hard to do without forcing a lot of oxygen in, into there. Absolutely. And, and uh, I, I learned from, from Matt Wenning as well, you talk about cost and fatigue, you know, the power lifts, the squat and deadlift in particular, both offer a ton of spinal compression. So if you're really only squatting and deadlifting as a means to develop your legs, it's, you know, you're putting a ton of, a ton of actual stress on the spine. So being able to do things like a belt squat, a reverse hyper, a GHD, um, heavy or light with a ton of reps is going to give you a great stimulus to the legs without the cost of, of more spinal compression. He actually, um, if I remember correctly, he, he tries to do one-to-one -one for every compression based movement he tries to uh, include some type of decompression movement as well be it reverse hyper ghd i think he he refers to the belt squat as being decompression which it's not but it, it doesn't load the spine um lat pull downs things like that even hamstring curls just trying to offer the spine decompressive stimulus to offset the constant compressive load placed upon the system with your squatting and deadlifting yeah but i think it's it's right back to without even having to uh, without even having to overthink it, I think we're right back to just doing more volume uh, from a variety of angles and and getting that getting your cardiovascular system improved uh, so that you can actually recover from the heavy work. Yeah, um, you know it's it's always go go go. How can I get the most out of my training? How can I lift more? Do more? How much stims can I tolerate? Um, you know that's always the focus. But as you spend more and more time doing this, and you become more and more you know, you become stronger and 
your, your, your training age increases, you realize that prioritizing recovery and sleep and eating and, and, and your, um, you know, your active recovery work, it, it, it's, it's just as much, if not more of a contributor to the end result than, than the actual work in the gym is. Agreed. Um, so to wrap up, what's, uh, what's next for you is, is your greatest focus. This, this, uh, this world's strongest gym competition in, in Vegas. What else do you have going on? Uh, a lot, all at the same time. I'm releasing the vertical diet 4.0 finally this, uh, this probably next month. I have it about 30 new chapters. Uh, I've been working on a book with, um, uh, Ben Pollock, PH deadlift. He and I have been, Great. uh, We've been working together. He moved here to Vegas, and we we got together, and we're uh, we're actually writing Biggs University. This is for the supra physiological who want to to be uh, Superman, larger than life, and, and live to tell about it. We're going to put yeah. together a, a pretty comprehensive book on on what it's like uh, with the um, polypharmacy and performance dancing drug side of the sport. Uh, I'm also at the same time it seems kind of. Uh, not very compatible, but I'm also writing the Vertical Kids uh, book, which is going to be more for, you know, kindergarten, actually conception to college on what parents can do to uh, help their kids realize their genetic potential. Um, and that'll be nutrition and training and a lot of the things that, uh, that uh, you know, I've talked about will be covered in there as well, just with specific for kids and education. So doing all those three things at the same time. And of course, we just relaunched with a new provider, the Vertical Diets um, Nationwide Meal Prep, which has uh, been a, uh, a great success. And so we're excited to keep uh, keep that moving. Um, that sounds great. So so 4.0, briefly, what, what are some of the um, additions that, 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 are, that the 4.0 offers that weren't in the three, if you can't, are you allowed to say? Yeah, you know, we expanded on a lot of topics that, that things people ask me about, like PCOS, um, about uh, maybe some HRT stuff, uh, about uh, uh, high cholesterol, quick fix kits. I have the high blood pressure, high blood sugar, but now we're into reducing LDL and ApoB and understanding what cholesterol is and how to manage it and reduce it. Um, uh, host of other things that have to do kind of with general health and how nutrition affects general health. And so we're, we're expanding on all those uh, those chapters. That's great. Yeah, that's that's you know it's it's just such a holistic thing, and and it's 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 healthcare, not sick care. You know, it's it's treating the yeah. cause. You know, with, with how you're feeding yourself and your lifestyle, rather than going and seeking medication to kind of band aid all these symptoms you're experiencing, kind of getting at the ground level, which um you know is obviously something I believe in being you know a, a professional in this field as well. Um, one last thing I definitely want to talk about is I started working with Merrick Health per your recommendation. Yeah, me too. Yeah, they have been phenomenal i i can't yep. say enough about the service they offer um how easy it is um and it's just it's very frustrating it's been very frustrating uh myself personally and others that i that i work with and alongside here getting your traditional uh you know pcp and healthcare provider to offer you the the resources necessary to monitor things like blood work and food allergies and, and just trying to optimize things you know um, you know, you, you, you go to your doctor and you ask for a blood panel and they want to know why. And it's like, cause I want to know what's going on. Like, I just want to know. And it's, it's always yeah. time to jump through hoops. But after connecting with Merrick, um, I, I was connected with, uh, this, this woman, Erica, who's been phenomenal. She's my kind of like liaison. She's who I deal with to, um, 
choose which panel is best. Um, it's super, super easy. They work with LabCorp and there's labs everywhere to get your labs done. You just go get your lab done. Um, they're waiting for you and they're ready. And then the results came back um, much quicker than I expected. And yeah. the packet, the packet they had prepared, uh, prepared for me to go over all of the nuances and small pieces that that blood panel um, provided and, and the guidance, the supplement recommendations. Um, it, was, it was a packet. It was a 45-page packet. Um, and I then had a, a Zoom call with Erica and a doctor. I forget his name exactly, but he was um, super well versed in in all things that 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 we deal with as as competitive athletes and strength athletes and dieting and um, supplement and PED usage. Um, it, it's been phenomenal, and I'm actually um, about to order my uh, second panel next week. I plan yep. to do you know three to four a year just to just to try and optimize everything and, and and keep myself healthy so I can do this as long as as long as possible. They've been a phenomenal uh, resource. Absolutely, I can't add to that. I can't say it any better. MerrickHealth.com. They've been extraordinary. Before Merrick, um, how did you handle getting all your blood work done? Were you able to get it through PCP? I used another problem? provider, but it cost me twice as much, and and I I, I didn't get any of that additional information on uh, deciphering the test, so I had to go out and learn it myself. Yeah, because you know traditional not, and I'm not. We're not. We're not coming down on traditional medicine by any means. It's just you know they're about general health and keeping people healthy and and whatever it may be. And when 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 they interpret someone like your or my blood panel, it's going to be different. You know, I'm, yep. I'm 280 pounds. You know, I'm consuming five or six thousand calories a day, and I'm putting my body through the ringer as much as possible. So things like CPK and creatinine are going to be through the roof, which may be alarming for a sedentary individual but it's it's different for us so not only having access to get the blood panels done but having access to a resource that can interpret the blood work appropriately for us and what we're doing um is just it, it's such a fantastic resource to finally have at our disposal so um i, I agree brother i thank you Agreed. again for uh, recommending them because they've been they've been fantastic thanks for having me on brother thanks for covering all this stuff i'm excited looking forward yeah, me to too. it I can't wait for December and uh, keep me posted with any changes. And I'm going to release this episode, if not next weekend, the weekend after, so we can get the, the word out on this competition as soon as possible. Okay. Appreciate it, brother. All right, man. Be well. Have a great day. And I'll, I'll talk, talk to, you, to you later. Thanks. All right. So that just about wraps up today's episode. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to the Top Strength Cast. I hope you enjoyed listening to that as much as we enjoyed putting it together. Uh, if you did, in fact, enjoy it, please leave a five-star review, like, share, whatever it may be to help get the word out. We really appreciate the support. Um, and also, your, your feedback. Your feedback means a lot to me. Feel free to reach out, uh, shoot me a DM directly at StripCam or comment below. You know, Like I said in the intro, it's most important to me to offer as much value through this platform as possible. And it's it's very helpful in doing that to, to get your guys' feedback. Let me know what you like, what you don't like, what you want to hear. Um, you know, I really want to provide the, the best service possible. So thanks again so much for listening. We'll see you guys over there, and we'll see you next week for the next episode. Thanks again.